0: All right. Let's do a quick sound check. So one, two, three, four, five. All right, Jamil. One, two,
1: three, four, five.
0: I got to boost you up or you got to speak louder.
1: Okay. So keep it low so you don't have much editing to do and I'll just talk in the mic. All right.
2: And Mr. Velardebo. One, two, three, four, five. I
1: got to boost you up a bit.
2: Try it again. One, two, three, four, five.
0: Sounds good. Now count backwards from Z. What? (laughs) I'm doing a a field sobriety
2: test I will never pass that field sobriety test
0: This is what I want you to do Heel to toe while doing only the vowels backwards
2: I got the Parkinson's out For the like physical part of it I'm like sorry dude Oh you got a card If I close my eyes and stand still I will fall I'm going to pull up
0: my notes See unlike Gruber we have notes We prep We don't improvise the whole way through
1: Do we ever stick to all of our notes though? Yeah, You think you stick to your notes? Oh, I do. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: You don't understand I was that about either. to say, there's no way Bill's not sticking I to don't notes. I know. We're
1: going to get him to where he can just...
0: I mean, even <laughs> everything you say is in my notes already. Is I'm, it? I'm guiding you subtly, <laughs> subconsciously, without you even knowing it. The you can pay master. me later. You're just a, you're just a puppet. You don't. Thought, you thought you had an original thought? Nope, it's, all right, it? here. it's all right it? here. Is that
1: it? You wrote it out. You never know.
0: Welcome to episode 23 of Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing Democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimler. I'm Jamil Brooks.
2: Matt Villardobo from York County, y'all.
0: If you like what you hear in this episode, and really, you don't have a choice, this is high-quality content, folks. Please leave a rating, tell your friends about us, follow us on social media, or better yet, Just please let Nikki Haley know she's not funny, has never been funny, never will be funny, and no amount of guest appearances on Saturday Night Live are going to make her cool.
2: Okay, we have time for one more question, and it's actually for Ambassador Haley. (laughs)
1: curious, what would you say was the main cause of the Civil War? Um, and do you think it starts with an S and ends with a lavery? <laughs> yep, I probably should have said that the first time. And live from
2: New
3: York, it's Saturday Night!
0: You can always drop us a note at black, white, blue, in the south at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, and topic ideas. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and even threads. But please do leave a review, even if it's just to let us know you're listening, because it helps our show grow. We've cracked the 1,000 listener mark, and we're only 999,000 short of reaching a million. We have a Linktree page, that can connect you to everything. So, look at those show notes where we'll have that and links to all material mentioned in today's episode. Today is part two of our time with South Carolina State House candidate Matt Villardabo, who will be running in District 26 in York County. We had a great introduction with him last episode where we learned all about his history and his campaign, and today, He joined Jamil and me in reviewing a few topical news items, but I encourage you to first listen to episode 22 to get a sense of what a great guy he is. But before we get to the news, I want to comment briefly on the South Carolina Democratic presidential primary that just wrapped up last weekend. President Joe Biden defeated challengers Congressman Dean Phillips and author Marianne Williamson, with a staggering 96% of votes cast, with the remaining 4% split among the challengers. Look, a lot is going to be made of the turnout. Comparisons will be made to the 2020 primary, where we had a number of strong candidates on the ballot like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and others. They'll even look back to 2016, when there was a very competitive race, between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. But for a proper voter turnout perspective, you really need to compare it to 2012, when incumbent President Barack Obama did not face any opposition within the Democratic Party and South Carolina didn't even have a presidential primary. That is the closest comparison that we should be considering because, let's be honest, this Saturday's primary shouldn't have happened either yes we live in a democracy and anyone who qualifies can run you meet the criteria and cough up the proper fee as dictated by state law you get to be on the ballot but that doesn't mean you should be on the ballot though there needs to be some sense of self-awareness out there to know that you simply do not have the support that gives you any reason to be doing this sure Phillips and Williamson have their supporters, and many people are passionate about the platforms they stood for. But 96% in South Carolina? Imagine all of the money and time it took the staff, the thousands of polling locations, the equipment, the logistics, the advertising, the money the Democratic Party nationally, statewide, and locally spent in order to rouse up the voters to go out and vote. What did these two campaigns get out of this? Exposure? Positive publicity? All I heard from them was a constant complaining about how everything was stacked against them. I can't imagine that their profile rose at all from this fruitless exercise. They had to have known what this outcome would be. They should have seen the signs and dropped out like their Republican presidential hopeful counterparts did. Uh, DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Christie, Tim Scott, all of whom had higher percentages of support than Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson did. So, what about their complaints of the coronation of President Biden? Well, as an incumbent, who in my view took a country that was truly broken and has done a tremendous job in fixing it, probably deserved the benefit of running unopposed. Yes, inflation sucks. Guess what? It sucked all over the world because we dealt with a global economic shutdown, the likes of which have never been seen. So while all the nations were seeing rising inflation... What should be a fair measurement is how did we do in recovery. And by all comparisons, the United States came roaring back stronger than any nation on earth. And we are starting to see all indicators that not only did we avoid a recession that all of the pundits predicted and Republican leaders prayed for, not only did we avoid it, it looks like we're firing on all cylinders even stronger than before the covid pandemic so i say all that to make this point again i believe president biden as an incumbent should have been shown the respect he has earned to be allowed to run for a second term and if you're worried about age as the only strike against him i'll just say this check that ageism at the door i had the opportunity to sit close and watch the president speak in person he was as strong and engaging of a speaker as i've ever seen no he's no obama never has been never will be but he was forceful energetic quite humorous at times righteously angry at others i saw what i needed to see to give me confidence that yes He is still up for the job, and I want to see our country continue to head in the positive direction that we're going in. And now, let's turn our attention to the news.
3: For up-to-the-minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news.
0: Our first news item for today comes from a favorite topic of ours, Moms for Liberty, (laughs) because they're up to some shenanigans here in South Carolina that we should be aware of. Mm. Did you know that Moms for Liberty is opening a charter school?
1: In South Carolina. Doesn't surprise me.
2: I did. I follow uh, multiple social media groups that are against Moms for Liberty run by public education advocates around the state.
0: There was a great article from an activist named Judd Legum, but he posted this online, and it just was eye-opening. So we know South Carolina has a lot of charter schools. In fact, one of the first questions I was asked as a candidate is, what do I feel about charter schools? Okay. And like anything else in life— there's no black and white answer. It's a... It depends. It depends. Because charter schools can serve a very good purpose. They take you outside of the formal requirements and disciplines of the public school system to serve a particular purpose. For example, if you have students who are hard of hearing or Mm -hmm. visually impaired, maybe a charter school with experts in that field Mm -hmm. can help those students and engage them in ways that just aren't available in a public school environment. Yeah. So music, you know, another charter school for music. Specialties. There are specialties that I think there are things that charter schools can do. But lately, charter schools have been more about ideology. Yes. And, you know, we want a conservative charter school. We want to have a Christian charter school. And by the way, charter schools are paid through public funds. Which is their tactic, Correct. So it's let's use the public school system money yes. to pay for what essentially ought to have been a private school enterprise. It's yeah.
2: the workaround for not funding religious really is. institutions. Yes,
1: yes. And so, it's, but it's written that way where they can do it.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. So course. Moms for Liberty, there's a, a South Carolina chapter of Moms for Liberty, has stated that they are starting their own publicly funded charter school called Ashley River Classical Academy. Fully taxpayer-funded, but structured in a way that avoids any state oversight or accountability. So here's their intended curriculum. They're looking to open up in fall of this year, in fall of 2024. I saw that. Mm-hmm. They want to implement the 1776 curriculum. My
1: God, 1776.
0: Do you, you know where that curriculum is or where it came from? Where it came from, Be?
2: I do. I, I mean, I've heard about this. It, it was it's a, from the Heritage Foundation, yeah,
1: isn't
0: it? it, it uh, close. It was created by Hillsdale College. Okay. Hillsdale but I'm sure Heritage Foundation was right up in all that writing. It. It's a right wing ideology, a spin on history that diminishes anything bad that happened in our country and puts positive spins on it. So this 1776 curriculum came as a reaction to the 1619 project. So when that was published, 2019, 2020, it was just a few years ago, and that caused everybody on the conservative side to go into an uproar. What do you mean our country started with slavery? Well, that was their perspective, right? That when the slaves hit this country, that's the beginning of the United States history because everything that our country built— relied upon all the slaves to make it happen yeah yeah and you know what they're not trying to teach it as a different fact i mean yes fourth of july the signing of the declaration of independence that doesn't change but when you look at it from different perspectives maybe you get a deeper richer understanding of our heritage Mm -hmm. anyhow They flipped out from the 1619 Project and the 1776 curriculum that was promoted by Donald Trump, who was president at the time, started reaching into these schools. Now, we covered this topic a little bit. I'm going to go way back to episode six when we talked about CRT. And we, we, (laughs) we talked about... Prager University. We did. And that's where some of this comes from. Prager University, 1776, they all overlap. I want to play this clip again of a Prager University children's video that's available on YouTube. You can watch it for yourself, where Christopher Columbus is speaking to a couple of young kids who are on his ship. That's
1: going to piss me off, but click play.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the warning. I'm sorry. The first people we met were great. The Taino. They were peaceful, curious, and really helpful. I could tell right away that they were highly intelligent. They even were able to quickly mimic everything we said to them. I ordered my men to treat them well. I'm sorry, Mr. Columbus, but I heard at school that you spoiled paradise and
0: you brought slavery and murder to peaceful people. Leo! (laughs) Sorry. It's what I read and heard at school.
3: Caramba! Those are some accusations. The place I discovered was beautiful. But it wasn't exactly a paradise of civilization, and the native people were far from peaceful. But you just said the Taino were peaceful. They pretty much are. But there are other tribes who aren't. The Taino I had met had cuts and scars and bruises all over them. I asked why, and they told me about the Caribs, who are vicious, warring cannibals. Cannibals? Like they- Eat people, See? Whoa! Right? Hey, all the things that are bad in the world I come from, jealousy, lying, murder, war, it all exists in the land I just found too. Ah, in Europe we draw the line at things like eating people and human sacrifice. Some of the native folks from where I just left do those things regularly. So these people in your time who think it was a peaceful paradise are misinformed or lying. Yeah, but what about slavery? You didn't deny that. Deny? No. Slavery is as old as time and has taken place in every corner of the world, even amongst the people I just left. Being taken as a slave is better than being killed, no? I don't see the problem. I don't see the problem.
1: (laughs) It is what it is, kids. I told you this was going to piss me off every time I hear that.
0: So you're not going to be enrolling your children into Ashley River Classical Academy where they learn such fine moments in history like that?
2: My goodness. (laughs) I'm going
1: to go with no.
0: (laughs) No, no. Take some time. Think about it. No. Okay. I understand your point. It's absolute insanity. This is the 1776 curriculum. Yeah. So if that's not bad enough, the board of this Ashley River Classical Academy includes the leaders of the Charleston Moms for Liberty chapter. Of course. Including Chair Tara Wood, Treasurer Janine Nagrodsky, and Education Committee Head Nicole McCarthy. So they went into a deep dive on these individual members. So I'll just pick on one the treasurer, Nagrodsky. Nagrodsky is very vocal on social media, posting anti-trans memes and conspiracy theories about the safety of COVID-19 vaccines. This place opens for the 2024-25 academic year, funded on your tax dollar.
1: So the the very thing that these individuals are doing whatever they can to erase and alter what you know as history. There was this one article I think we did where the mom was saying that her child came home and was in tears and embarrassed about being white. But these are the same individuals that are trying to erase history that has their children embarrassed now. And their behinds are still trying to do something else in history that is going to have their children's children embarrassed later.
0: Yeah, let's take a look at their board of directors up on the screen. You just keep
1: doing the same crap and thinking it's going to go away.
0: What do you notice about the board of directors of Ashley River Academy? The
1: whitest whites. They don't look like uh, South Carolina. (laughs) They don't look like America. Yeah. And somebody's going to be, I keep saying, somebody's going to be passing out Kool-Aid for everybody to drink. This is just complete crazy.
2: Tom Drummond, that man looks like he's not happy with a lot in the modern world.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Check his basement.
0: How does the school come into existence? I want to give you a little more background because these charter schools can't just exist out of thin air. You you and I, we can't just go form a charter school on our own. It needs sponsorship by the state or by a university that will sponsor the charter school and ensure they are meeting whatever standards there are about charter schools in South Carolina. So there is Erskine College. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> is that, are you familiar with that? Score? Yes. What yeah. do you know about them?
2: I know that they're tied into a lot of this like shadiness that the Republicans they are up are... to to attempt to like, what should it, scholarly legitimize these whack <laughs> job theories. Yes,
0: the yeah. Erskine College is a small Christian. Institution. It is. They are also the biggest sponsor of charter schools in South Carolina. They are a charter school factory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Erskine's financials are a mess. Mm. In fact, they lost their own accreditation as a sure as a school, and they're fighting to get it back because they found all sorts of financial mismanagement, all sorts of problems. They can't get accredited themselves, Correct. yet they are responsible for over two dozen charter school accreditations, Mm. including Ashley River Classical Academy. Every Mm.
1: parent that's brown over there. Listen, let me just go on record saying, I had two boys who went through Erskine. Neither of them finished at Erskine. Both of them ended up transferring somewhere else. Did not know that. Yeah, they went, but it just wasn't a good fit. And I remember my now 21-year-old saying, There, Of course, there's a required religious class that you have to take. And he was like, listen, I I don't know what that is, but that ain't, I know the Bible, but that ain't it. You know, he was always struggling with that class from the beginning. It just wasn't his fit. So he transferred from there. If this is the way that Erskine has gone and continues to go, you have a lot of kids that they're able to pull in for sports and they're having really good scholarships. My boys got great scholarships from there. But Parents have to determine if that's what you want to have your children attached to.
0: As a sponsor of charter schools, Erskine College gets. 2% kickback to them Mm. of the state appropriations that Mm. go to charter schools. So Mm. there is financial interest for them to rubber stamp all of these academies regardless of any qualification. They've made that their business model.
1: Yes, yes. yes. Because of that, I could see them saying, let's go forward, because they are constantly actively recruiting. And that is one of the ways that they're going to offset or be able to assist in their recruiting methods.
2: It's interesting that your children went to Erskine Because you look at like the big kerfuffle with Ellen Weaver and Bob Jones University, a lot of educators have degrees from Bob Jones University and lean on Bob Jones University to provide them with degrees and higher level master's degrees too. So to, to see that, I mean, I, I'm sure Bob Jones lost a lot of attendees and a lot of business within the education Well, listen, Bob Jones should have, commuter. because you
1: can't produce a, a master's, master's in, Not in six an MBA. Months. So Bob Jones should have lost and took all the it, heat. It that took was me
2: almost six months to do Come my on. master's dissertation.
1: Come on. Yeah, that was a bunch of crap for Bob was a microwave
0: Jones. master's.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> One final note about Ashley River Classical Academy. They have hired Alexandria Spry to serve as its first head of school. Spry previously ran a charter school using the 1776 curriculum in Florida at Jacksonville Classical Academy East for the 22-23 school year. When Spry served as head of that school, Jacksonville Classical Academy East received a grade of F from the Florida Department of Education. That's the Florida Department of Education issuing an F. How bad do you have to be? Well,
1: you have to understand that the Department of Education is going to be reviewing that school by the Department of Education standards. And if they don't align with it, you're going to get this F. That does not alarm me. What's alarming to me is that These individuals are so out there that they are going to reach far and wide to find someone who is out there just as much as them and bring them all. Do not we not all see this great migration to South Carolina? Like, I I feel like we are dealing with a great migration to South Carolina. Go and get all the crazy people that you can and bring them to South Carolina and see if we can't continue to flip South Carolina out and have it even more crazy than it already appears when everyone else is talking so you go to Florida and get crazy and bring it back to South Carolina, and then you're going to have our children around crazy. So the way that they are protesting in what their children get exposed to from the public school libraries, I read on their website, well, your kid can always go to the county library and get those books, but you can't get them in the schools. You're going to run a school. With taxpayers' money, that's my problem. You can have whatever school you want, but you can't have it. You should not be able to have it off of the backs of hardworking citizens who could not go to your school and receive an adequate education if they wanted to. That is my problem with them. You can exist in anywhere you want to, but you're going to have to do it on your own without taking money from people that work every day. That's my issue. Andy Brack writes an article in the Charleston City Paper entitled Start Making Progress on Palmetto Priorities. And so in this article, I think he did a really good job on hitting some of the key points. But what he's saying is that each year we ask as citizens to come up with these 10 Palmetto Priorities that are common sense initiatives. But I want to say that they're only common sense initiatives to common people. If you ain't common, you don't get it. And we see this over and over and over again when we have the House and the Senate go back in session. And he states from here that each year they delve into a culture war or conservative talking points rather than looking at a broad view. So of this, he mentioned that the things that they wanted them to focus on was education, gun reform, poverty, politics, tax reform, all of the things that only where the laws have been written to benefit the upper class, but penalize the lower class. So I thought this was a really good piece. So thanks for sharing this one with me. A couple of things that I'll point out right here is in education, asking something very minor. We know that without education, South Carolina will continue to struggle. Very minor request. Hard to get done, but a minor request is to cut the state's dropout rate in half by 2030. Who in the state house is not wanting to work on this? I don't get it. It, it seems to me a little crazy. And they, they mention in reference, Governor McMaster's, he says, my goal in 2026 is a minimum starting salary of at least 50,000. And this is where he's talking about paying the teachers. And then there's a, a statement in this piece by Brack that says lawmakers should note, however, that they also need to increase the pay for support staff. Here's what we cannot do. We cannot miss that if you don't take care of the bus drivers that transport the students, you ain't gonna have no students to teach. You cannot miss that if you don't have the resources and the pay necessary to train and staff substitutes, that you won't have anybody in there to watch the kids when the teachers are out. So there are a lot of things that are needed that are not being taken care of.
0: So this sounds like a wonderful thing to prioritize, but but instead, what do they come out of the gate with? anti-trans legislation that, that but, nobody asked for in this state no students are no, asking for protection. But this is where
1: here. I go to show this is where I say all the time our representatives find joy in taking on individual issues. Because they feel like they can, to be honest with you, that's an easier win for them. If they can take on an individual issue, they can win and flip that bill. That bill will be out and signed. But it's when we challenge them to go and close the door and all work together on something, an issue that all, regardless of your party, face, then they come up with nothing every time. And that's who should be getting an actual F, these individuals that keep going back into the House and the Senate and doing nothing Money is good when they're talking about let's pay the teachers more pay the teachers more but I want to bring something else this is only from Jamil as an educator sometimes it is the expectations of that educator that become so stressful so strenuous that they will leave regardless of what you pay them the expectations that are put on teachers for instance Matt mentioned when they well, were let's having a conversation how
0: has your wife lasted 20 plus years
2: that's in a this good environment, question. so she spent a lot of time in Florida. To, uh, of that, and uh, say what you will about Florida, they have, okay, they have a teachers' union in Florida. Okay. Oh, I did not know um, that. They no. she had to take almost a twenty grand pay cut to come to South Carolina and teach. She she lost a union and lost real benefits. I mean, mm-hmm. she gets three days off a year. She doesn't accrue leave like PTO or anything like that. They get sick days, but mm-hmm. teachers in this state don't get a lunch break. They get lunch detail. Correct. And just recently, to her credit, Ray Felter got the, the bill put through a few years ago, giving elementary teachers and special ed teachers 30 minutes a day of undisturbed time or you know protected time, which is basically their bathroom break and a chance to a grab teacher- a bite.
0: Is almost indentured servitude. There's another thing I learned about South Carolina education. Yep, that those
2: contracts.
0: If you need to take a personal leave, let's say you had a tragedy in the family or you had something bad happen and you're like, I can't finish out the year. You can lose permanently your right to teach again in this state. Yeah. It is a permanent contract with no wriggle room for breaking without severe penalties. Well, and
1: that meant something when you had teachers, but you ain't got teachers now. You don't have any. So, and and I'm telling you, educators have gotten onto this. They understand that, yes, those contracts are written. You know, a district is able to say, I won't prevent this person from seeking employment somewhere else. And South Carolina is hurting so bad to keep credentialed individuals, not the people who went to a Holiday Inn Express, but the real ones in the classroom teaching. So I don't think you... You're going to find many districts that are going to block a person who had a legitimate reason for having to go and leave that potential place. I want to point out that districts vary. So I don't know about oh, yeah. your, your wife's district, um, <laughs> but another issue with pay for teachers is when you get it. You know, sometimes if you're only making forty five thousand a year And you're waiting once a month to get that check. It's hard for you to maintain a life. It's hard for you to feed yourself, let alone someone else. So maybe consider breaking that up into more than just one payment. Now, I know that throws off some districts financial budgets, but consider that. A lot of educators seek employment somewhere else because they need more frequent access to the funds that they've worked for instead of waiting until the last week of the month to get your check that's supposed to carry you the rest of the next month until that cycle. That's an issue. Gum reform, they talked about, and they talked about char- closing the Charleston loophole, and they've been trying to get this done since 2015.
0: We, let's make sure we un- uh, understand what that loophole is.
1: How soon is a person able to receive the weapon that... That they have gone to purchase. And so what they're saying is at least hold that window open for five days so that all appropriate individuals can do the background checks and everybody is sure that if it's Jamil, she should not own a weapon. So
0: I think the current background check is um, you're given two days or something like that to perform it. But if for some reason the agencies aren't able to return the results to you, and maybe it's four days later or five days later they you come back with it. You get the gun. You get the gun then.
1: You get the gun.
0: And that's the loophole, and that's what happened with the... Dylan Root. That's what happened with the monster. Thank you. That shot up all those innocent people at the church in Charleston.
1: Correct. And it states liberal gun laws are one reason why this state has the sixth highest rate of gun violence in this nation. So I said... Uh, no, of, no, no. Let's back that up. What's that rate again? It says the sixth highest gun rate.
0: And we are the most constitutional carry state are one of the most in the nation. More laws are being put through to eliminate any type of safety training requirements or permits, et cetera. Yeah. And we suffer from the sixth highest. I'm
1: going to tell you why. Because the people who are making the laws- are the ones that want to have the access and don't want anybody to tell them they can't. That's what you're dealing with. And
2: these guys, I mean, this is the time for Republican exceptionalism, and they are not rising to the occasion. I mean, I read this article, nowhere on this list of priority items are you going to find wokeness, trans kids, putting women in prison for engaging in health care. None of that is on here. I personally went and knocked thousands of doors. Dare I'd say there's not many people in this state who have knocked more doors than me to date. None of those doors I knocked were like, Matt, we need somebody like you to get up there and stop these trans kids from... From doing what they're doing. Or Matt, yeah. you know, I, wokeness scares me. Look, here's a picture of wokeness. I yeah. took it the other day. <laughs> you know, none of that.
0: Yeah, show me on the doll where real, woke hurt you.
2: Real legitimate <laughs> issues that impact everyday South Carolinians, like Jamil is saying. They can't handle the, it. These are the real sort of things. Education. I've always said you want to make education right in the state. Let's remove that obstacle to letting the teachers form unions. Mm. You want to see things flip in education? Let those teachers unionize. It's about more than pay. It's about a culture change. Yeah. So here's the
0: secret to gun reform in South Carolina. Wait, and let me get you this oh, before ahead. you do it.
1: Is if we're really wondering – how and why there is no true gun reform. It is because of the individuals that make the laws are protecting themselves. So I looked at this particular stat, and it says that across the United States, 35% of non-Hispanic whites have uh, personally own a gun, and 46% of them have one in their homes. And now let's go to look at non-white. You are looking at 23% that has personally owns a gun, and you're looking at 35% of that that live in a household with a gun. So this is another chance for individuals who write laws to protect their own gun ownership. It is not the only time this group of people do what we need them to do is when it benefits them. They will write everything to protect them to make sure they own their guns. But when it comes down to something that impacts the masses, we can't get them to do crap.
0: So here's the way to solve this problem in South Carolina, and Andy says it in his very last sentence. Liberal gun laws are one reason why the state has the sixth highest rate of gun violence in the nation. We just need to spread the message that these are liberal gun laws that we have. We attach the word "liberal" to it. Just watch them run say, against those. Uh, People have those lost laws. the
2: ability yeah. to differentiate between yeah. definition and yeah. political just philosophy. Just say that your Republican
0: <laughs> opponent supports liberal, liberal gun, gun laws. laws. Oh, that
1: would do it. That would do it. Let's cover one more issue, if
0: you don't mind. I want to okay. hear about poverty because that's gotcha. a subject that's Ooh, important to Oh, you know, me. I got
1: it. All right. So poverty. They talk about new ways to fund priorities based on reducing endemic. Poverty in South Carolina, so they talk about Developing more jobs, having more training Programs, workforce training And improving education, making healthcare More accessible, I'm going to go A step further and describe what is known As the trap, so I wrote about this a while ago, never published But South Carolina, I'm only speaking On South Carolina because that's where I'm from But South Carolina has programs that will trap An individual, so let's take a person who is Receiving governmental assistance Whether it's TANF or whether SNAP benefits, right? Those individuals will go through those workforce training programs. They will gain a higher level of education. And as soon as they make that first check and start to see what life looks like after all of this training, they have to submit income verification to determine if they're able to still keep their benefits. But the benefits are cut off. So if you do better and you make better. Your fear is that you will lose the stability that you knew before appropriately transitioning to be able to use that income. So you have people who do the opposite, and this frustrates a lot of citizens. You have people who who are working to ensure that they keep the benefits that are consistent versus going out here and getting a different way of life because you did not want it to cut off at one time.
0: So you're saying it's not just due to laziness or No, it ain't Now, I'm
1: going to say this. Let's just call it what it is. You got some lazy people out here. You do. But you also have some people and I've worked in enough schools to know I have seen some single moms or just some moms that are that are married and they are trying their best to get off of assistance. And the moment they get a job that is going to change their lives and make their family a little more financially stable, the benefits are pulled away so fast because it's time to show proof of income. Another issue I think contributes to South Carolina poverty is the turtle pace of completing and letting people know if they are truly disabled or not.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's a fast pace to remove the benefits, but it's a turtle pace.
1: Yes. So you got a person who is disabled. You got some that take advantage of the system. We're not saying they're not out there, but you have a person who's truly disabled and they have submitted all the documentation that they need to. Here is from the credentialed individuals that are saying that this person is disabled and not able to perform said duties. That person has to submit another application and another application and another application. And they can't work while they're doing it. Because if they do, it puts them at the back of the line. Now you've got to start over. That's the trap mechanism that we've got to figure out a way to get out of.
2: So I have Parkinson's and I, my wife and other people in my life have always, you know, why don't you go on disability? You probably make life a lot easier for you. And I said, I, I don't think I can afford to stop working and wait and the, the one thing that enrages me is any process or system you apply for, I don't care what it is in life, where it's accepted that you get failed on that at first. And that's the way the disability system works. It's like, oh, well, they're just going to deny you at first, so you go get an attorney. And it's like, well, what the hell is that, man? I mean, the government should work for us.
1: Yeah, how can I pay for an attorney? You know,
2: that is my government. And I I don't know if any of you have ever run afoul of the IRS, but that'll really elevate that sort of, Mm. whoa, you work for me mentality. So, yeah, I mean, the whole disability process is a joke. Yes. And it it encourages a system of where people are trapped. Like you're saying, it's the trap. And you get caught up in this and you wait. Yeah, you'll get it in arrears. But, you know, by that point, you're living in a studio apartment. Correct. Lost all your personal belongings. Had to give away your family pet. Under the
1: bridge. I don't want us to end this episode without mentioning the cut the prison population in half that opens up a door that so many people want to run from. But when you're talking about cut the population in half, that's not going to happen because it's been privatized. So you're talking about the amount of money the prison system, if it is a private entity, has made $1.67 billion in revenue, and that was in 2010.
0: I feel like we can do a whole episode just on that topic and do a deep dive.
2: System of a Down tried to warn us about this years ago, y'all. Yeah, they got a song called Prison System. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly two million Americans are incarcerated in the prison system, prison system of the U.S. They're trying, they're trying to build a prison,
3: they're trying to build a prison, they're trying to build a
2: prison. But she's right. So I get that's one thing I got inundated with was prison reform. When I ran last time, a lot of people were like wanting me to champion that. And I'm like, I'll fight for that once elected, because I do agree. You know, I've never agreed with this mentality. lock them away and throw away the key. It's like, no, I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about how great this country is compared to them, whoever them may be. Well, I've been to them. I lived in Saudi Arabia. If you get thrown in jail in Saudi Arabia, they ain't feeding you. You need to make arrangements for somebody to bring you food every day. You can serve your hundred day sentence and get a hundred lashes on your way out the door. There, things like that. So there's a lot of culture change that needs to happen in the state and in this country and the way we kind of look at incarceration and people serving their time and r- getting people out of there who don't deserve to be there. You know, nonviolent drug offenders should not be incarcerated.
1: Yeah, but please keep the ones in that should be in. I'm yes, glad, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we don't need bond reform. We
2: guys out, you know, on the streets who have just beat up their girlfriend for the last three months.
0: Yeah. Matt, do you want to take us to our final article?
2: <laughs> so we are going to talk about, and I have my notes ready on this one.
0: This is going to make Jameel mad. Feeding
2: hungry kids is a political issue now, thanks to Governor McMaster.
1: (laughs) Did y'all wake up and say, let me figure out how to piss Jameel off for a whole episode? (laughs) So
2: there is a summer EBT program in this state that uses federal dollars, and the governor has decided to forego that. So several state representatives and state senators showed up at the governor's office to kind of put them on notice. Wendell Jones was there, Marvin Pendarvis, Senator Mike Fanning, and uh, Senator Dion Tedder. And I know uh, my local state rep from York County, John King, was president at that. I just want to give John a shout out. All
1: right,
0: So let's set the context. During the COVID pandemic, one of the many federal programs that were enacted to help the nation get through the absolute disaster of supply chain issues and layoffs and businesses closing. People dying. just, Just to keep this country operating was to implement a pretty robust child food program that helped feed kids every month throughout the year. That pandemic program has expired, and they have looked to replace it with a new program that was called the Summer EBT that was set to start this summer. And it was federal money that could go to the states. All you had to do was sign up for it. And the only burden on the state itself. The only burden was 50% of the administrative costs. How much does it cost you to run the cards and keep track of people and so on? It was administering it. The only thing they asked the state to do was administer it. The federal government was going to pay even 50% of administration costs. And Governor McMaster, along with others, said, no, no. Summertime, Kids can go hungry, and those families out there who are— By the way, here's the detail. The, the ones that get this card are families who are at or under 185% of the federal poverty line.
2: That's 55000 annual salary.
0: For a family of four.
1: So, but you said no. You said no, McMaster.
2: I remember when I got that $55,000 a year salary finally in life as a father with a family of four to provide for. And I, I felt like I had won the lottery. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think I was at the poverty level still.
0: So there are many families with children who are no longer going to receive this uh, food assistance for the children.
1: What I'm glad that you mentioned was, because you hear this so much, like, don't take that money because how is it, it going to impact us? So I'm glad, and I wrote it down, but I'm glad that you said said that as a state, we were only going to be required to pay back 50% of the administrative cost of those funds, 50%. They got it. You, i tell you what you could have did since we we taking suggestions mcmasters you could have got that uh 1.5 million that y'all got earmarked in that little cubby hole that's for uh the public schools that you were trying to give to that christian school in greenville mm-hmm. you could take a a, a couple of dollars from there and move it over here and pay for the kids or how
0: about the 150 million dollars of the lottery funding that sound never good? went to the schools that they suddenly found sound
2: or, good to me or that what was it nine billion dollar budget surplus they gave <laughs> us our 60 dollar <laughs> checks
1: for last yep, year yep that sound good to me too he Runs I don't want around that st- check.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: he runs yes. around the
0: state bragging about how well South Carolina is doing. We're doing so well that we can't afford to administer for hungry kids.
1: You know what? Now, shame on them. Shame, shame on them. Because I believe these are the same people who say they want to save lives. Now, these are lives that were born. Yeah. I, See, once you, once you birth it and you get it here, you still got to keep taking care of it.
2: You know, these Republican elected officials are not interested in providing for children After they're born, when they're active, you know, mouths to feed and burdens upon the state, they're just done with them. I
1: mean, this uh, is simply feeding hungry children. So here's
0: a fact. In South Carolina, food insecurity is higher than the national average according to the usda more than 20 percent of children in our great state and i'll put great in quotes on this topic in our great state live in food insecure homes now food insecurity by definition means it's just kind of a mixture of a household socioeconomic position and their fear of being able to provide nutritional food we're not talking about feeding your family day by day out of the dollar store we're talking about nutritional food and they're worried about food running out families worried about food that will not last worried about not being able to afford a balanced meal there's a whole bunch of metrics that go into food insecurity south carolina has a high percentage of food insecure families that this money could have helped and if you got families that are fed then you got families that are working and contributing and building themselves up and And getting out of that cycle of poverty. And
1: you have children that can go to school with full bellies and be able to focus on the information that's being delivered. So South Carolina test scores... Listen, I haven't had lunch yet. I'm having
0: a hard time focusing
1: on you. I'm telling you. I can't
0: imagine hungry kids.
2: They don't have to go with the shame of that either. I mean, there's so much that goes along with that. I remember my wife and I, when we were younger in our marriage, her teenage cousin lived with us from 14 to 18 and she came from a very difficult background and I remember having to walk her through that food insecurity path, you know, very, you know, when it was time to serve dinner, she wanted to make sure she got her portion and to a size that she felt, you know, I remember just kind of being, I was like, man, calm down. And there's plenty of food in this house. If we eat too much, we'll make you more. Yeah, And uh, just sort of watching her navigate that. I didn't know then, but as, you know, I became more accustomed to Amber and having her in our lives, we kind of figured out.
1: Here's one thing don't miss, and maybe you all can help our listeners with this. Where do the funds that South Carolina said no to go?
2: To other states that'll say yes to them.
1: Ain't that some crap?
2: So, right? I mean, and we'll see it. Let's say eventually they say yes to it. That guy's going to throw a press conference with his cronies (laughs) talking about what a good job he did for South Carolina. And, you know, it was like watching Nancy Mace applaud uh, money to widen Interstate 26. It's like, man, you fought (laughs) for these Build Back Better dollars to go away. What are you doing here taking a victory lap?
0: So to your question, Jamil, Senator Mike Fanning came right out and he said, let me be clear, your federal tax dollars. Now, you're paying Say these it. federal tax dollars. That's money coming out of your pocket already. Say it. Those dollars are going to be used to feed hungry children. The only question is where. Mm. So they're going to be fed to kids in Chicago, New York, L.A., but not Columbia. That's a not problem. Not Greenville. That's a problem. Not York County. Not Greenwood. Your tax dollars don't get to come back to our state because Governor McMaster and the Republican supermajority decided— We don't want it.
1: And this is not a Republican or a Democrat issue. This is an issue for all citizens in South Carolina. Poor people fall in every party. This impacts all lives. Don't feed them. And you're saying take the money from the hardworking South Carolinians and their portions of federal dollars and you want to send our money somewhere else. They got a problem with taking our money, sending it somewhere else.
0: And that's a wrap for this episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. We hope you've enjoyed what you heard. Please take a quick minute and leave us a rating using your favorite podcast app and a review of what you heard today. If you do, Governor Henry McMaster might just find it in his heart to feed a hungry kid over the summer. We thank Matt Velardebo for joining us here in Greenwood and wish him great luck in his campaign. We'll be sure to check in with him again as the year progresses. If you are a blue dot in a red sea, keep the faith, keep up the hard work. Change only happens over many years of work and dedication. So join us in that fight and get involved any way you can. Filing for partisan offices across South Carolina begins in just a few weeks, so consider taking that chance on yourself to make a change, just like Jamil and I did, and run for local office. You'll be glad you did. And more importantly, so will the voters.
1: Do, 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 do. The end.
3: The preceding podcast is a product of big media and copyright 2024, all rights reserved.